Hello, and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're going to talk about how to kick off a successful launch. My favorite topic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it would be hard for me to talk about anything else right now because I'm in the middle of one. And it is extremely exciting and chaotic and hectic and fun and all of those things. But that's really why I wanted to talk about it, Jonathan. I feel like as of yesterday, you hit your initial goal. So you can call this a successful launch already, right? Yes, we've achieved escape velocity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the other piece is that it's a successful launch. You're positioning it for something even bigger in the future. And I really want to hear kind of how you got to this place, because I think there's a whole lot of things that you've done to make this launch successful that other people don't see. Yeah, absolutely. I've done it a lot of different ways over the years. A classic case being, oh, I've got a great idea for a uh, a SaaS product or a, a ebook or something like that. And you go and spend six weeks or six months or please God knows <laughs> six years building it. And then you release it to the world and crickets, nobody, mm -hmm. nobody. And it's just totally backwards. And I've done it more than once too. It's, it hurts. So I don't do that anymore. And I've picked up tips from tons of people uh, just sort of along the way Brennan Dunn, Tim Grawl, Seth Godin. The way that I see a, a launch is completely reversed now. It's almost just one more stage of the product development. It's a very integrated long process. So like the public sees launch day, but I've been working on this for six months probably, at least thinking about it for six months. We can talk about the product a little bit, but I don't think that that matters as much as what led up to launching. Let's start with this. So the product we're talking about is called the pricing seminar. So what made you want to do this? Well, I knew I wanted to do a class, a group thing, some sort of a class. It could have been a million different things. It could have been a DIY video course. It could have been uh, workshops in person. It could have been all sorts of things, but I knew that, you know, I do one-on-one -on -one coaching and it just doesn't scale that well. And just part of my mission here is to spread this concept of ditching hourly billing for something better. And I just recognized that it required something more effective, some way that I could work with hundreds of people at once to amplify the message. I started doing group coaching thing. I still do that every other week. It's like office hours though. It's not like a curriculum. It's just show up and at, you know, sort of bring me your question and I'll answer to the best of my ability to get you unstuck and moving forward. But I noticed when I first started that and I launched that, that there was a sort of a synergy between the students who attended because they were all kind of starting from the same place. But then over time, as new people joined, you know, I've been doing it for about a year now. Now people are all different places. So there's not as much, it, it doesn't gel as much. And once I started to recognize that, I was like, man, I have to do some kind of curriculum, some kind of course where everybody's talking about the same thing at the same time, more or less. I have nothing against video courses, you know, like a Udemy type thing, but the dropout rate is so high, you know, people buy it and then don't do it. And I would still make money that way, but I, I really do want to, I was really looking for the most effective way to teach a large group of people and keep them engaged the entire time to really decrease that dropout rate. So maybe a year ago, 
I took a course called The Marketing Seminar with Seth Godin. And the way he structured that, I, immediately I was like, this is it. This is the way to structure an online learning experience where you actually care about the people transforming along the journey. It was called The Marketing Seminar. I called mine The Pricing Seminar. I was nervous that he, that he would take that not well. I actually emailed him and said, hey, I want to structure something like what you did. I want to call it The Pricing Seminar, but I won't do it if you think that's not cool. And he was like, go for it. So that's what How I did. Seth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I didn't want to, uh, you know, you yeah, know, yeah, you know obviously I the content's it. all different, but still there are similarities in the bone structure of it. So I didn't want to step on any toes. The idea has been percolating for probably over a year and I've been looking for something for all that time. Came across the marketing seminar probably nine months ago. And it, like I said, I was like, okay, I know how to structure the product now. I had all the content. It was a question of how to structure it. And I was like, okay, now I know how to structure it. So before I'm actually going to build anything, first, what I want to do is make sure that anybody's going to care, like make sure that I've got the language right to attract someone's interest. So how can I talk about this in a way that, that people who I believe need it will connect the dots between what I'm talking about and the problems that they're facing. So, you know, I've got this daily mailing list that goes out to thousands of people. So at one point when I was starting to get enough courage to actually pick a date, <laughs> um, I said, I said to the list, like, Hey, I'm thinking about putting together this thing called the pricing seminar. It's going to look something like this. And I gave a brief description of it and said, you know, I want to run a beta. It's going to be heavily discounted because I'm sure there'll be glitches. It's, it is not going to be perfect. And would anybody be interested in that? I wasn't even selling. It was just a yes or no question. You know, would you be interested in that? If so, click here. 200 people from my list, a small percentage was like, yes, that makes sense to me. That seems interesting. And when they clicked that button, they added their name to a separate mailing list. And every few days, as I would make progress on developing what would ultimately be, you know, basically I gave them behind the scenes. So, oh, I bought a new camera or I'm wondering about the content outline. What do you think? Kind of ask questions of this group and they would give me all sorts of feedback, really good feedback. Like this segment was incredibly engaged. Honestly, their feedback guided the direction that a couple of really critical decisions that I made. So already I know that there are a bunch of people who are going to be into this or at least think they're going to be into it because they're contributing to it at the very least. They're not building it, but they're contributing they're involved. Yeah, they're involved. They're enrolled yeah. in the process. So yeah, and you know, they would email me and some suggestions I would agree to disagree for and, and explain why. It's like, oh, that may, yes, that sounds like a good idea. I don't think I can do it for these practical reasons, but thank you, that kind of thing. One person single-handedly kept me from chopping an entire module out and it, and she was completely right, but I was blind to it. So it's so important to get early feedback and get a core group of people enrolled in, in the process. I think it's for something that is brand new from scratch. I think that's critical. So then what happened after that? So after that, those people were my special group and they got first access. Uh, they got the most discounted price. Once I had everything roughly set up, I went in some colleagues and friends of mine in a Slack room. I let them in for free. So about a dozen people came in for free, kind of kicked the tires, 
found any, because I had some software programming involved and there were bugs, uh, but they would be able to go through the whole payment process with a 100% off coupon and kind of tell me, oh, that, you know, the welcome email took 10 minutes to get here, things like that. Okay, gotcha. So, yep. So now I've got like 10 or 12 people that are, that are in the community. There's like a body there in the room. So when I did launch it to people who were paying my special group that were paying the lowest price, when they got in, there were people there. It's like, so the first person who paid came in and saw that, oh, there are already people in here. It's not like that echo chamber that just like, hello, anybody here? Is this on? Oh, and then you wonder, did I make a mistake signing up for this Exactly. Course? Exactly. Yeah. So because it was, uh, I launched that first registration to only about 200 people and probably only 50% of the people even open the email. So you're not going to get a million. But yeah, so you started to get a few people in there. And sure enough, there were some bugs and I'd fix them and uh, didn't have to fix it at scale for 100 people. I just fixed it for like three people. So now a few people are in. I kept emailing the special group. And then eventually, you know, this is the last day. Let your friends know. Here's the secret Easter egg on the page. Don't forget to tell your friends about that. Uh, if they want a few extra dollars off and that sort of thing. So once that felt like all of those, fo- anybody who was going to join was was joined, then I announced it to my main list. Somewhere along the way, I probably mentioned it subtly in a PS or something like that, but no big deal. But then I officially launched it to the list, the main list, and had folks like you and other friends shared on social media and elsewhere. It always reminds me of building a campfire. Before, when I would launch something out of nowhere, I built this giant stack of logs and then like I'm throwing a match on it and like, well, how come it's not lighting? And this way is more like start with tinder and kindling and tiny sticks and then a little bit bigger sticks and then twigs and, you know, work your way up to logs. Start really, really small. If you can't get that little tiny piece of tinder to light, there's nothing there probably. So when a launch comes along and it's like, oh, you know, like over a hundred people joined on air, air quotes day one, because it really wasn't a day one. And to me, that was like, it needed to have a hundred for the thing to actually, it's designed for a large group. Like I could handle up to a thousand. The idea is to be able to handle up to a thousand people in a session. So if I only had like 10, I wouldn't really be testing the concept. But if I have a, a couple hundred, then I, I like, okay, this is, this is a fair test of the scale. So that was pretty important. I want to spend a little more time on that because I think that's an important part of this piece. And I I don't want to gloss over it for the listener because it's fascinating to me. So you knew ahead of time that you wanted at least 100 people to test this. And I remember in a conversation we had, you said, really, I'd like a thousand. And I remembered my head almost fell off because the thought of a beta with a thousand people would scare the crap out of me. So talk about the process that you went through to decide that a hundred people felt about right. Was it about the audience? Was it about proving that it would work? Was it about how it fit with your product and service ladder, how you leverage it? Did it have to have a certain number of participants for you to feel like it was worth your time? Yeah, a lot of, a lot of stuff there. So it was all of those things really to a to lesser or greater degree. But there are a couple that are really important. One, one about the worth my time part. I had crisis of faith at least five times getting ready to launch this. I was like, because I would go like this, this is going to be more trouble than it's worth. Like, this is crazy. I could make this much money. You know, I'm doing the numbers. I'm like, I could make this much money releasing a PDF. Like it's, 
And then I would say to myself, okay, calm down. This isn't about trying to make the most money you can with a certain amount of effort. This is about the best way to teach this to people. Is, and then I would say to myself, is this the best way to teach this material to somebody effectively? And then I would say, yes, it is. Like, okay, shut up and keep going. So I talked myself off the ledge at least five times with that because this is like a crazy amount of work. The next time it'll be easier, way easier. I'll have all the videos recorded. I'll know there'll be so many fewer unknowns. I'll have a, a base of students who have gone through it, alumni that can it'd be completely different the second time. It'll be like half as much work the second time. So yeah, there's that on the horizon, but still I had to talk myself off the ledge. And, and the way that I did that was by focusing on the participants, focusing on the mission and the goal and the impact I want to have. Am I making a leap of faith? Yeah, sure. But that is the thing that kept me moving forward with the product. So the reason, the reason why it needed to be more than a hundred, it needed to be at least a hundred because if it was less than that, I wouldn't be forced to operate in a new way. If it were fewer than a hundred, I would still be able to one-on-one -on -one people. I'd be able to like give specific answers to a specific scenario. I wouldn't have to engage the group with each other. And if there were 25 people in there, I'd be able to get to know every single person. I'd be able to understand their backstory. I'd be able to give them really laser focused answers. When it's a hundred or more than a hundred, I can't do that. There are going to be people in there that I never talk to. What I need to do is take it up a level and say, how am I going to ask the right questions in general for these people to figure out the answer on their own, lead them to the answer, which is more effective anyway. That was really important to me. The other thing was that in order to keep people enrolled, because it's 100 days, and one of the, the pieces of feedback that I got, which was not a surprise, was like, oh, I'm afraid I'm not going to stick with it. I'm afraid I'm not going to have time. I'm afraid I'm going to get busy and not be able to keep up. Or the, you know, can I download the videos and go through them later? And I'm like, yes, it's set up so that you can do that. But that's not the plan. The plan is that if you do that, you won't watch them. 90% chance you'll download them and never watch them. The thing that will actually make people change and create those light bulb moments that I love is that they will get sucked back into the community because they're helping other people with certain things and they're being helped by other people with certain things. So it creates this community environment. And I didn't invent this. I saw this happen in the marketing seminar and that's why I was like, this is the way to go. Like that was the thing that I saw because the engagement with the other people keeps you coming back. People need you. Now all of a sudden it's not about you like putting off like, oh, maybe I'll, you know, maybe I'll start doing sit-ups and eat right sometime in the future. I know I should do it, but I'm not going to. But if someone is actually pulling you back, like I need your help with this, that's going to pull you in. And then while you're there, whoops, you accidentally learned something. So that's the secret sauce, if there is a secret sauce to it. And that's why I needed, it had to be at least 100 people. And I've already felt it. Like, it's already completely overwhelming. For If I was going to engage with the, the group the way I engage with my group coaching students or my one-on-one -on -one coaching students, it's just, it immediately pushes me out of there. Like, nope, you can't do that. And you have to go to, I have to stick with the plan, which is release the video on the topic, prompt the discussion that needs to happen around that and sort of nudge the conversation into the areas that people are going to be challenged is working. Like I, see, I can already see it's working. So that's, that was why I needed at least a hundred people. 
But how fascinating that you were willing to put yourself out of your comfort zone in order to spread the idea. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you may be regretting it for a moment here and there, but that's powerful. It's a tough thing to stay with. Yes, that's true. And all your decisions are so much easier if you're on a mission. It's just so easy. It might be a hard decision to make, but you know the right answer versus I don't really know what I want to do with my life or I like helping everyone or, <laughs> you know, I, I enjoy doing all sorts of different things. I love being a generalist. And it's like you have a map and you're like, I want to go everywhere. You just look, look at everything. Just, I'm going to go to every single place in this map of the United States or the world. It's like, well, no, you're not. So maybe you should pick a place to go, either have a vision or be on a mission or have, you know, the stuff we always talk about. And if you do have that, it can be hard to foster it, but I have some ideas. If you do have that, it makes a lot of decisions much clearer. I won't say easier. It makes them clearer so you can keep moving forward. We're all better at doing things for other people than we are for ourselves. So when you've got that mission, it can be really, I don't want to say easy. It just gives you that fuel to go through the tough stuff. I heard that in, in a conversation you and I had offline, I think it was last week. It was sort of a metaphorical scratching of your head going, oh man, I can't believe I decided to do this. But it was so clear that you were going to do it and that you were committed. And I, I just wasn't surprised when you met your, your first goal. I was pretty happy. <laughs> it would have been a rough hundred days to go through with not enough people to really test it. It, I think it would have been fine, but it would have been, a, I would have considered it a false start. I was telling Erica a story last night, years ago, I went to music school and uh, I was, uh, whatever, summary, I don't even know how this entered my mind, but I decided one day that I was going to teach a, like a workshop on music theory. This is one of those things where I was like, it was like build it and they were calm that blew up in my face. And this is pre-internet, so... You know, I was like, I went down to the the local big hotel and I said, you know, how much would it be for a conference room for a day? And they gave me some price and I said, great, let me book it. This is like, <laughs> again, pre-internet. I put up flyers on telephone poles and, you know, like going around. Just, I don't know what, this was a crazy idea. It's just this weird idea in my head. To this day, I can't remember why I thought it would work. And then, so I show up and I sit there and no one comes at all. And like not one person and ouch. And I was sitting there and as the clock ticked, 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 I started to panic that one person would show up. Like I was like, <laughs> zero is so much better than one at this point. And it, I, I kind of had that same panic just before I opened up the sign up page and before people started to sign up, I was like, I was like, please either zero people sign up for this or a hundred. Right. Because right. 10 would be really hard. Yeah. Yeah. Because you have to show up with your full self and teach it as though it were a thousand. I would have been able to one-on-one -on -one everybody and it wouldn't have been testing what I wanted to test. It wouldn't have pushed me to the place I needed to go. Well, let's talk just for a second about what someone should do if they've got a mission, but without your audience, because you have an audience already, right? And then you intrigue them with this idea and you created this sub audience. What would you say to people who have a much smaller audience? Write an email every day. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> like that's the secret of my success. If there is, you know, to the extent that you want to call it success. When I started doing this stuff seriously, you know, I was a software developer and I was doing this on the side. When I started doing it seriously, I had nobody on my list. And that was only like two years ago. Nobody. I started a little list. I don't even know what I tried to entice people with. I don't remember what the, what the value proposition was. But somehow I ended up with a couple hundred people, which you can do. I mean, I, I do this with students all the time. You can get 50 or 100 people on a mailing list if you're not just completely self-absorbed. You can do it. Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, you can do that with theoretically with your group and LinkedIn. I mean, m- most of us have wrangle a couple hundred people. Right, right. And if I remember correctly, I had about four or 500 people on my mailing list, which was not daily at the time. Few hundred people on my mailing list when I published Hourly Billing is Nuts. And it jumped up to maybe 1,500 people just from that. So, and it pretty much stayed there and continued to to grow from there. I purge it every once in a while. If people are inactive, I delete them. I like a really heavily engaged audience. Everybody has that reaction. It's like, oh, well, sure, you had a successful launch. You have a big mailing list. And it's like, well, that's part of the launch. Like two years ago, start a mailing list (laughs) and (laughs) and like deliver good stuff to them all the time, every day, make it worth their while to have read it. And what do you know? They, not only do they trust you, but they get where you're coming from. They understand you. And I suppose it's worth saying, I've had a bunch of ideas along the way and not everybody raised their hand and said, yeah, that's interesting. So there's, there are a bunch of ideas that never made it past the idea phase because nobody seemed to get it. Nobody seemed to care. I didn't figure out the right language or there was no actual pain there. Having the list is like, it's solid gold. I mean, it's the greatest. Well, it's your biggest asset. I, I think for most of us, it's our biggest asset. It's where our people come from. Yep. Yeah. So then, you know, then the, the tactics for building up a mailing list are what we talk about all the time. It's like, how do you grow an audience? Well, first of all, have a really clear idea that you're trying to promote some sort of mission or big idea or insight or something, and then share it like crazy, publish it everywhere, go on podcasts, start your own podcast, start a mailing list, whatever things you do, having a mailing list is, if there's one tactic that I think applies to pretty much anything, it's like start a mailing list because that's that, like you said, it's an asset, not a Facebook page, not a Twitter following. That's all fine. But something about email and this probably change at some point in the future, but something about email is just perfect for audience building because it's broadcast and one-on-one and you can switch between the two easily. And you own it. That's the problem with social media is at any time Twitter or Facebook can ban you. Right. They can hijack your account. I mean, there's all kinds of things that can happen with that. You want something that you own. I say the same thing, Jonathan. Oh, yeah, well, email could change. But right now, it's the best thing going. But we've said that for, you know, as an industry, we've said that for 20 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And it will say, oh, no, no, no email. And it comes back because it's the one place that you can get one to one and that you own. Yeah. Email dies every two years, I think. Like emails dead. It seems like it. Yeah. Yeah. But it isn't. And maybe it will be at some point. I mean, that's why we always pay attention to what's around the corner. But for now, emails your gold. Yep. It does all the things. I mean, podcasts are amazing for certain reasons, but it's very hard for people to take any kind of action based on a podcast. So 
you know, you have to drive someone to a, a URL or, you know, show up at this workshop, you know, and it's like, uh, you know, you're walking your dog or driving your car, you really can't do anything at the moment. And then you forget about it. And I see um, email as it's just a perfect combination. It's conversational, it's but it's private. You can click things, you can make it easy for people. It's got everything. And it's distributed. It's not, it's not owned by anybody. I mean, you still have issues with like, from time to time, your mailing list provider might get blacklisted because of somebody else on the, on the, on the service engaging in bad behavior. So Gmail and Outlook, your deliverability can go down. It happens to everybody, but that's nothing compared to getting banned by Facebook or something. I mean, there's no comparison. Yeah. Yeah. What you're saying is what we've been saying on this podcast since the beginning, which is you need to have a mission, one that's powerful for you as the individual and powerful for your potential audience, that it's going to bring people into you. And then the other thing that struck me about about this launch, Jonathan, it really about all of your products and services is that there is a focus there. I mean, it's clearly on why hourly billing doesn't work. And you beat that drum in your daily emails, you beat that drum in the pricing seminar, and you beat that drum in every podcast you do. So it's that focus. And I think that's the other lesson for the audience. And I I love hearing this. It's the more that you can focus in a very real way on your mission and your audience, the more likely it is that you're going to have this kind of success with a launch. Yeah, you end up with the flywheel effect because all of your all of your content, I mean, it's a lot of work to create videos and podcast episodes and write all these emails and books and articles. And it's like a lot of work. So you want them, of course, deliver the value that they're intended to deliver at the time they're released. But you want them to contribute to this flywheel effect. If you just physically picture a flywheel, it's got an like an axle in the middle. And if without that central point, it doesn't work. You're just pushing a stone around the ground. But if you put that central point in the middle, it can spin. And as you add energy to it, it'll continue spinning. It's, in fact, it gets hard to stop. Like if I tried to change what I was doing tomorrow, it would be impossible. Mm-hmm. I couldn't. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I could, but people would continue to email me and people would continue to tweet me about ditching hourly. The thing that bums me about, out about this is like people, oh, yeah, that's easy for you to say. You've got a big list or you've got, it's like, yeah, but I didn't. Two years ago, I didn't. It doesn't really take as long as you think it's going to take. It really doesn't. I think the more laser focused that central point is, the faster it'll happen because it's wobbly. If it's not, I mean, not to stretch the metaphor too much, <laughs> but if the central point is not stable or it moves around a little bit, the flywheel is going to wobble. You don't want that. The more focused you can make it, which, you know, you can improve over time, it might start out a little blurrier and then you get more and more focused about it. Then you can make it easier for yourself for the momentum to pick up. But I think that is what happens. I mean, it happens with all of us is that we start out with an idea. And then as we start to share the idea, we adjust a little bit or we may play with language. And most of us develop a shared language with our audience. There are certain words that we use. And sometimes we use them in a very particular way. Sometimes we make up some words that we use. And the more you do that, the sharper you make that point. 
that central point, the clearer you get, and then the clearer your audience gets. It's it's easier for them to know if they're going to love you or just you know don't want anything to do with you. Right. Yeah. You'll attract people you want to attract, and you'll repel people you want to repel. So, Perfect. So there's one. That's what we want. Yeah. And there's one thing that I get a lot of feedback about when I talk about this is people say like, well, I don't, you know, but that's boring. I don't want to talk about the same thing for 10 years or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's where I switch metaphors. <laughs> I switch to like the, the solar system thing. And we've talked about this before where my central idea is like the sun. Hourly billing is nuts. That's my, that's my sun. And around it are all these like planets that rotate around it and they're all different. They all have a different course. They show up with different regularity. And that's where you hear me talking about positioning or writing proposals or doing speaking engagements or how to run a podcast. Like these are all very different topics. So there's a lot of variety, but I take pains to tie them back to pricing because that's my central theme. So I'm, I'm not just going to talk about marketing in general for no reason. It's I'm going to tie it back to pricing. It's like, hey, have you got a problem raising your prices do your customers head for the hills if you every time you double your hourly rate well guess what you know blah 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 and you talk i might talk about marketing i might talk about publishing i might talk about it could be anything but it's all going to tie back to increasing your profitability by getting off of that hourly hamster wheel it may be too soon now since you're you're in the successful phase of the launch but you're still introducing this first part is there anything that you would have done differently at this point looking back <laughs> i wish i hadn't waited as long but <laughs> cuz i've been thinking about this for longer than i needed to there's like that Stephen Pressfield the resistance you know who am i to do this the imposter syndrome all of those things but I've been doing this stuff long enough and I talk about it enough that it's a little bit easier for me to recognize than probably the average bear. But I see that fear as a good sign. It's like a, that's like a compass. Like if I'm not getting that fear, something's wrong. So I see it as a positive indication that I'm like, oh my God, this might work type of thing. Like, like what have I done? What am I trying to do? It's, it's scary. It doesn't make the fear go away at all. But at least I recognize it as something that's a good sign. You know, as Seth Godin, you know, dance with the fear. It's like, okay, take a deep breath, talk yourself off the cliff. You know what you need to do next. Just get yourself to do it. So I dragged my feet more than I could have. I could have rushed more quickly into it and it wouldn't have, I don't think the quality would have suffered at all. I can say that a lot of the launch unknowns and a lot of the, a lot of the fears that I had before there were actual people in the community, you know, before people were actually in the room, so to speak, have disappeared. And now creating the, the videos now sounds fun to me. I'm through the, f the fear of the unknown part. And now I'm like, oh, wait a second, this is going to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> right? Instead of just looking like a massive amount of work. I I'm not a fan of working with video. It is really not my favorite, but I think it's required for this experience. And now that I've got into a little bit of a routine with, you know, I've done, a, you know, maybe five or five or six videos so far. And I'm like, oh, okay, this isn't that bad. I'm in a, in a routine. So I'm not scared of those like little tactical goofy things that don't really matter that much. They just need to get done. And now it's like, okay, I can forget about, not forget about, but I don't have to worry about little, where am I going to upload it? How am I going to, you know, stuff like that. Um, now I can just sit back and do it. 
And, and it's like, whoa, that's the fun part. That's like the onstage part of being a musician. You know, you do, you got all of this like rehearsals and loading your gear, packing your gear, putting it in the van, getting out of the van, loading it into the club through the snow. Like, oh, I forgot to eat. I'm starving. And like, <laughs> you know, and you get in there and you're soaking wet and you get electrocuted a couple of times. And then like, but then the lights go down, you're all tuned up, everything's humming. And you just like, you're like, boom, let's do this. And you rock. That's the phase that I feel like I'm getting into. I still don't know what's going to happen, but at least I'm to the fun part. I'm on the, the, the like performance part of the experience. So I think I heard something in there. I want to make sure that I'm understanding it right. So you haven't recorded all the videos ahead of time. Correct. Right. You have what and you're doing. Is it a video every other day? Is that yes. your schedule? Yep. I know what they all are, but I just haven't recorded them all. And okay, so how many do you have? Recorded or listed? Recorded. Recorded. I think six. Okay. No, I'm just curious for the audience because it's, it's a great example of you don't have to create everything ahead of time. You just have to know what you're going to do and then do it. Well, yeah, this and that's part of this first time through. The first time through, I'm not sure... I mean, I could do them in almost any order, but I want it to be in an order that makes the most sense for the group. And to, and to, as I'm getting, so I release a video, then I say, okay, everybody, you know, lesson one is live. Watch the video. They're short, like five minutes. I try to keep them to five minutes. I have a tendency to talk for 60 minutes every time I open my mouth, but <laughs> try to keep them to five minutes so people can watch them at any time, just like in line for, you know, a movie. And and then at the end, my prompt is to think about something or ask someone something or send one single email to someone, like a very easy single thing that is designed to change the way people think about something. And as I'm doing that, you know, so you re release it and then say, okay, everybody go into the lesson one channel in Slack and discuss your findings. If this particular one was easy for you because you're already running a firm and this is a no-brainer for you, help the people for whom it is a new thing. And then later there will be a video that is the other way around where it's new to you, but it's not new to someone else. So they, you know, you can kind of help each other. And yeah, I'm in there too, but it's more of a facilitator role and just making sure people are asking the right questions and understanding what I mean when I say like, I want you to dig deeper than that. Don't just say I shop for the best value. You know, it's like, well, what does better mean? What does value mean? That's subjective. I don't want to get too far, but the idea is there's a big discussion already. Like in the first couple of days, there's a huge amount of discussion that happens around each one of these videos and it will drive the way that I record the upcoming videos because I'll start to, because this is sort of new to me. So I'm like, what's the best way to do this? What level of, you know, what level of Zen do I want to put this at? How abstract do I want to get? How specific do I want to get? So this first time through is going to really going to drive the, what I literally, like my word choice in the videos. But once it's done, my expectation is that a lot of them I'll be able to use the next time. I'll probably have to re-record some of them, probably the earlier ones as I get into more of a rhythm. And then next time I do it, I'm planning to do it probably twice a year, spring and fall do the next one will be like, oh, well, I've got like 30 of the videos recorded out of 50 instead of, you know, now it started with none. And right. Yeah. Well, it's also the beauty of a beta course because you tell your students it's a beta and you're figuring out as you go. It's one of the reasons why I actually like being part of betas because it's 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 all untried 
and you get to see it in its kind of raw, I'm not saying yours is raw, but in, in it's a more raw state versus one that's been around for 10 iterations. I mean, it's, it can be fascinating. And as the person doing this, this really doing it just a few videos ahead gives you the ability to really quickly react to your students. Right. Yeah, that's the plan. I think we should talk for just a minute about the emotional investment in a launch, because I think that it's easy to go, oh, no big deal. This is just all about the production. It's about figuring out who you want, figuring out the videos, the content, the format, all of those things. But there's an emotional investment we make when we do a launch in putting ourselves and our our thought leadership out there. Mm, Yeah. I mean, this is the first thing I've done at work that I like warned my family about. (laughs) I've written books before. It's just something I do in my office. You know, it comes up, but I'm not like, this has been like, okay, everybody, this is going to be a big deal and it's going to be significant. I'm not saying like necessarily it's going to be one of those like, oh, I have to work 80 hours a week. Although that surely will happen at some point. I'm prepared to have to work a couple nights here and there. It was more of an emotional stress leading up to it. And now it's more of an emotional involvement. Like now it's it's so, still so early, but I can already see the emotional bond that I've got already to the group. If it's going to work, I need that emotional bond to start to manifest itself between the participants because that's what will keep them in. If If I can't do that, the dropout rate will be high. And that is, to me, that's a failure. Like if if I can't keep people engaged I haven't got a goal percentage, but if I have a 90% dropout rate by the, by the end, that's, that would be, that would, that would hurt. That would really hurt. Yeah. It's not a refund question. Yeah. But that's the thing I'm trying to, that's the thing. Like I know the content, I know the content's going to work because I've been road testing it for two years in a variety of different formats. Like that's not my concern. It's can I keep these people engaged for a hundred days and how am I going to do that? Yeah. That's the part of the challenge I so love, though, because what we're seeing with programs and training, online training, is that a lot of what's being done isn't working. I mean, it may be making money for some of the participants, but if you've got a huge drop off rate or they just never download the stuff. I've seen that happen too. It's it's really frustrating. So it's finding that way to engage. I feel like that's the that's the work we creators have over the next few years is figuring out once you find that audience is how can you get them engaged in learning on this topic? And to your point, we we do learn more when we learn from the people beside us. It's more fun. Yeah, I agree. The thing that I saw really strongly in the marketing seminar, and again, all credit to Seth Godin for, I mean, maybe other people have, certainly other people have done this before, but he's the first one I've seen put so much emphasis on the community for the reason of maintaining engagement across the long haul. This could be a thing, like not just some info product thing that people do, like this could be not to get too grandiose, but I mean, it's called a seminar because that's what I want it to be like. I want it to be like a college seminar where there's a huge room of people and you've got the sage on stage model where somebody comes in and they introduce an idea, the stimulus into the group. And then there are TAs and there are study groups and all of that stuff. Like I, I'm trying to support that model online, which is not easy. 
Well, we will be cheering you, Jonathan. Because <laughs> I do. I think this is a really important thing to happen. It's not easy. And that's what authorities do. It's you're paving the way for something. You don't know if it will work. But the first hurdle has been met. You've gotten enough people into it that you feel like it's a good test. And it's good for you. It's good for them. And now you, you see what happens. But the launch has been amazingly successful. Thanks. Yeah, well, it was, yeah. it was definitely fun to talk about. And I, I realized that just like with a band coming on stage, it can be hard to know, almost impossible to know, like, what were all the things, the enormous number of things that had to happen that to lead them to that point. You know, it's like you see the tip of the iceberg, but all of that stuff underneath the waterline is really what the important part was. Mm-hmm. So how do you how do you get that view below the waterline? So I hope hopefully this interview is a little bit of a glimpse. Yes, thank you for sharing. My pleasure. All right, so I guess that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark, and I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next time for the Business of Authority. Thanks. Bye bye.